0: Baby love, love, love love. Buy me love love, I'll buy you down my friend If it makes you feel alright I'll
1: get you anything, my friend If it makes you feel
0: alright I don't care too much for money Money can't me love I'll give you all I've got to give you say you love me too
1: Uh, Good afternoon and uh, welcome to this one of the esque podcasts. And then he said, talking the blues there. Uh, Gavin, you and I have uh, sort of chatted with with Gavin Buckland. You and I have chatted for a long time on social media, Twitter and stuff, and always threatened that we would um, do a podcast together. And here we are. (laughs)
0: Threatened two, that's the problem, isn't it? is its is the listening public? <laughs> yeah. I <think> it is.
1: <laughs> well, I'll ask you the question at the end of the podcast whether whether we've threatened each other or not. But, um no, listen, <laughs> I'm,
0: sure, I'm sure some some of that's happened probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's really good, it's really good to speak to you. And um we share we share something in common, don't we?
0: Oh, we do, we do indeed. Which I was delighted to see. It was a number of years ago, wasn't it? Really, we were talking about stuff, and um, we had an anniversary. I think on fifth of February uh, this year, where we, it was the fiftieth anniversary of our first ever Evan game, yeah. uh, Evan versus Walsall FA Cup, fifth of February nineteen seventy two, was both our first matches, and I both think we both put sweets out. I've often wondered there, uh, Paul, that you were obviously the young lads reading the annual report in the council nineteen seventy one, and the in the stands, you know <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that fifty year mystery has actually resolved itself, you know. But yeah, it, it's it's funny, isn't it? Um it's, and it's also significant, I mean, probably in the wider sense. More people watch football in the area than that day than any other day in history. Hundred and twenty five thousand people across um across Stanley Park and uh, I mean, they're the record attendance that day. Twenty Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd for, actually, just to be honest, I've forgotten that. Um, like, I, I was only a rel- you know, relatively small, small kid, and I went with an uncle and I went with with my brother, and we sat in the um, in the very back row of the Upper um, uh, upper upper Gladys Street, and we were um, right behind the goal, the goal where uh, both of both of Everton's goals were scored was were scored, and it's funny because when you see, obviously, we're going to get onto other stuff, but. When you, when you see the game now on, on YouTube, you know the pitch is like an absolute disaster cut up, brown, so muddy, very soft, everything else. And yet my, my memory is actually w- walking up up the steps and, and you see lots of video, you see lots of videos on social media now yeah. where it happens again, and just standing there in total awe of yeah. um, this green expanse that was in front of me, or what I thought yeah. was green. and that's yeah, my lasting good. memory.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I don't know about you. I mean, did you have a colour tally or black and white tally? Uh,
1: then we had black and white tally.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was the first time i seen a game on colour. So you're right in that. That was the, the colour of the when we walked into the ground. I can't remember whether I was in one of the stands, Park Endor, Gladstreet, or Gladys Street, up there. And the first recollection of walking into the ground was A, the colour, because I've not seen a football pitch in colour before, and B, how wide the ground was, because I'd t- a camera angle the sides of the pitch you don't appreciate the width of the ground do you, you know and um, yeah and it, it was the green and blue but as you say that was probably rose tinted and spectacles because when you <laughs> look at the pitch I mean and to be fair Golderson was one of the better pitches of the 70s um, it, it's actually quite frightening I mean when you look at the old games now like in the 70s the baseball ground is the one that's obviously um, mentioned Victoria ground Stoke wasn't wasn't great um, I think they were, they, were, they, were, they were green for about a month, weren't they, to the end of September? <laughs> but but by, by the end of the season, they were rock hard, weren't they, with the, um, you know, when the all dried out? what well, well, just started to dry out, yeah. yeah but, 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 the ball would bounce all over the place, wouldn't it? You know, be, you know, zigzagging across the pitch. And yeah, it, it, it is funny. That was my recollection, was just the colour, because I'd never seen a game in colour before, you know. Yeah, and, um, the,
1: and the smell as well. I, I've got this distinct memory of the, of the smell, just yeah, um, you know, sort of uh, like food smell and um, cigarette smoke.
0: Oh, well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? You know, in the days of smoking accounts and stuff, yeah, you, you do recall some of that. I just remember the amount of people, you know, because there's 56,000 at Anfield that day. So if you think thousand people milling around Stanley Park on the uh, on the same afternoon. It was just the amount of people there, and Liverpool were playing Leeds, which to them was as big a game as what you had in English football, wasn't it? And if you, they 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 how to get a hundred thousand people in around Stanley Park on the same afternoon, do you imagine Leeds Liverpool had a bit was a bit uh, bit naughty, probably? Um, it's just amazing, really, uh, that they allowed it to happen. It took it took really until the early eighties for them for them to play on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, amazing. <laughs>
1: just just an amazing coincidence that we.
0: Um... Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, so we both saw Bernie Wright. And, um... hey, there you go. But was it not Bernie Wright, but it Benny Wright. the guy. the Yeah, was the Walsall right. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah, right, yeah. um, there's, there's a myth around that they would actually decided to buy Bernie Wright on the basis of that game, but they've actually decided to buy him. they had done a scouting mission at Walsall, when I think they played Bournemouth in the in the third round replay. And Everett went to sign him uh, went, went to sa- sign him sort of after that game, even before the, we played him. I think they were looking, <laughs> looking for him to rubber stamp his performance <laughs> I mean to be fair, he was he was all right, but you know, Bernie has gone down in, you know, legend, isn't he? Is he's, he's the sort of I know we could talk about like older stuff, he's the symbol, isn't he, of that post seventies decline Bernie Rice, isn't he? You just mentioned the name and it, it sends shudders through, you know, Everton fans were, you know. Two, two, three years before you had Alan Ball and Joe Royal and all that playing up front. You've got Bernie Rice and then later in the era, Well, There's still a fair number of decent players playing in that '72 game. I mean, Howard Kendall played didn't yeah. it. Yeah, well, that was peak. That was Howard's peak, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, Howard was a little bit younger than Colin and Alan, so they weren't at their peaks. I think all at the same time. Uh, I think Howard probably. His peak was probably seventy two, seventy three. Where like the others, maybe a year or you know, year two, three years before. And you know, I think it's not beyond you know, the setting imagination that way. we finished really low down the table, didn't we? Seventy two, three. And you know how how it probably saved us. I mean, it was the day of Express Football of the year for seventy two, seventy three, when the teams finished seventeen or eighteen, that's uh, still mean feat. That is it really? No. <laughs> I didn't know that then. Yeah, yeah. You're,
1: you're 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 the you're the statistician, so um, <laughs> you you would know that because there was what there was now. Uh, uh, Kendall and Harvey played in that game. Joe Royal played in that game. Mick Lyons, uh, John Hurst, uh, David Johnson, Alan Whittle.
0: Yeah, I mean that's all. Like you know, a lot of the '70 team was there, but you know, I've documented there was lots of reasons why I went wrong. I mean, yeah. I think there was a few, you know, quite a few injuries. Um, and I think that all around that time, and Harry is obviously at the time of that game. Harry wasn't even managing the team, was he? He was um, still convalescing after his, you know, heart attack um, on the on the Yorkshire Moors, which had been about like five or six weeks before. Mm. So um, he wasn't in he wasn't in charge, and, and I think um, you know he, he, that that really affected us. I mean, Harry never really came back from that. I mean, John Moore said that he should have let him go they not invited them back, you know, when he, he returned by the end of that season. But I think Harry was uh, harry, harry had done 10 years at the top. I don't want to talk about the start of his reign, but most managers, if you've done 10 years at the top, that's about it. You know, you 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 are you, sort of like players, you only have a finite period where you're at the top of your game. How how old old was he at that time? Harry would have been fifty two, fifty-two, fifty, you know, fifty-three. Yeah, so still relatively young, but he'd been a manager twenty years. Yeah, yeah, But he looked he looked a lot older than that, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a photograph of him uh, on one of the Charles Buckham's football monthly, I think from nineteen seventy, and quite unusually for Harry. It's a real close up of his you know, his features. And he'd be what for, you know, he'd be just turned fifty then and you could add fifteen years on <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you manage everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, I mean, um, but look at Wolf McGuinness. You know, we don't sort of let, you know, go to the Man United. We was Man United manager. Had hair a year later. <laughs> <laughs> All his hair had gone. You know, who wants to be a football manager? You know, okay, I know they get he, he rewards properly now, but um, you know, then they probably needs a bit more money. But it's just that's it's just pressure. That's what it does to you, doesn't it? Really?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think Martinez probably takes takes it for everything, or even Silver, actually, because Silver, when you look at the pictures when he first arrived at the club, like, he looks such like a remarkably fresh young man, yeah, um, as if he's not just, like, not, not that long finished playing, and yet the haunted look on his face before he, before he left the club.
0: Yeah, just. I was going to say, Martinez, I mean, he, he looked I mean, gone, didn't he? He yeah. lost all the way from his face. I mean, the other one which is in between them is is it, the, is it one, one of the European games where um Kerman looked like one of the Mitchell brothers. <laughs> 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 I don't know which one it is. Grant or the other one, I don't know. Um the one played by Steve Affadi looked. He looked as if he'd had a few, few shavers before the game, you know. And yeah, that's that's it. I mean, football management does that to you, and, and I think um I can think of several Everett managers over the years who've um, you know suffered as a consequence. <laughs>
1: you
0: know, that's it. Yeah. So where where did
1: you get your love for um, sort of statistics and sort of you know this like sort of encyclopedic knowledge of uh, uh, at least contemporary evidence Abit- 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 probably probably um, more than that as well? I mean,
0: yeah. Um, well, I've always liked numbers. I mean, we've spoken I mean, my first was actually cricket. Um, you know, growing up in the seventies. I know we've spoken about that before, and yeah. I, and I, I, I like numbers anyway. You know, um, I've always done numbers based jobs and stuff, and. All that, so and I've always liked sport generally. Um, and so you combine the two, and you know, I, I actually love cricket, um, in the 70s and 80s, and um, that was an idea. I mean, cricket is a numbers based sport, isn't it? And it's just an ideal sort of interest. I'd, I'd love the sport with Evan. Um, I've always been an Evan fan, like yourself, you know, but you, it's four generations, sport You've got something like that of Evan fans, uh,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm fourth generation, I'm a are to fifth, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, um my dad was. Um my dad's mentioning Joe Royal, my dad's good mate in, in the late sixties, was also a good mate of, of Joe Royals and our Kendall's. Um and um, he brought Howard and Joe to our house in about when it was about nineteen seventy, so I'd be what four. Um, and they both give us half a crown each for for naming naming the Everton team. <laughs> <laughs> which, 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 to be fair given Harry Catterick secrecy and team selection that was probably the highlight of my academic career you know and it was all downhill from then on and Joe when we moved house in 1971 Joe helped uh, my dad move house you know in the summer and yeah so uh, it's, it's just it, it's like I'm not sure whether it happens to the same extent now I'm sure it does is that was it when you were a kid wasn't it when you were four or five it was football and that was it nothing else and there's a lot more incest for for children now. We, we know that. I mean, that's one of the challenges for the game, isn't it, going forward? But um, yeah, it was the the, the the incest in Everton came from, um, you know, obviously my dad was a massive fan, and the the you know, the, I always like numbers. So at, at some, point I started doing stuff. In I've always I've worked on research on TV shows and you know, acquired the sport, and I started doing. I did a book on Everton stats. Um, fell caught day ball in two thousand, and then from then on, I did the column for the program, Buckland's Bits and Bobs. Um, put my picture in. Probably didn't do the sales any good. And i will be about twenty years ago, and since then I've been doing stats for with the club, and um, it's, always, it's always good doing stats when they're doing well, but when they're doing badly, there's, there's there's only so many times you can say this is the worst run since you know the EDOT and stuff. When they are doing well, it's okay. When doing bad, you just. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a chore, isn't it? Really. Um, yeah. has,
1: has that um, translated itself into? Uh, a, I'm just asking you random questions here. Yeah. Um, that's sort of a love for memorabilia and stuff. So do you collect programmes and
0: and, and I collect pro- I like. I'm not a programme collector per se. In that I like them as memorabilia. I like them because of like there's always a lot of, serial days gone by. A load of great stories in there and. You know, used to, used to have all the old reserve lineups and new team lineups, and they have some good interviews. So, I, yeah, I, I keep it. You know, I, I've got quite a good collection, but it's not there because oh, I love love having them as a memento. It's because they are when you're doing research. Programs or as are great, a very much a timestamp, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Of 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 the club at the time. You know, if you if you're going back on that period, you know, the early 70s was we're talking about. It, you know, there was a couple of times where Moes went into the program. You know, I'm not happy. <laughs> things have got to change. All this type of stuff, and it's so they're very much a a, a a reflection of where well, club and football is at the time. You can even in, in the seventies programs. You can see that the the growth, of the commercial side of, side of things in in the program. Now, the, how the fans? I mean, how the club relates to its fans. I think is also a key thing. I mean, if you have a look at programs from the sixties. They're very stern, aren't they? It's it's very much a, a them and us club. I mean, Everton always regarded as been quite an aloof club, even with their own fans, and, that, and that's reflected in the sort of in the, in the programmes and the comments that they, they had, you know, within them. By the time the, the early seventies, that changed a little bit, um, and the club was a little bit more open, and you know, there, there was a, there was, was a lot more colour and a lot more interaction. And and it, it, they are they are great timestamps of like what football was like at the time, and and with Everton, what the relationship between the club and the fans were as well, if there was such a relationship. Yeah, it's interesting
1: actually, because you you say that in your book, don't you? In, in your um money can't buy us love book, you talk about this as a societal change in the sixties, and how uh, how that actually influenced uh, what what Everton became in that time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or didn't. Yeah, yeah. It was... The Everton, as you say many times, seen a club in the city, you know, and, and that's still, still important. And, and even by the early 60s, there was a clear gap, even though they'd been relatively similar in success, there was a clear gap between Everton and Liverpool in which how they were even, even regarded locally. Everton were, were footballers; he the first club. He, by and large, had all the big name players. He'd obviously had the wealth, bigger support. They, they were very much the, you know, the, the aristocracy on Merseyside And Liverpool was sort of the, the more troubling, you know, younger, younger brother. And I think what happened in the in, in the change in mid sixties, and we talk about that back when you turn out there, the cultural changes. Obviously, you had the, the Beatles, and you know, and more classless society and youth the younger generations getting their say and all this type of stuff it, that, that fitted in perfectly with Liverpool who were new in terms of relatively being in the second division for 10, 11 years um, you had the cup and all that. That, that and that fitted in more with Liverpool where Everton because they we were a bit more aristocratic and a bit more aloof they felt that we were above all that that change they certainly didn't embrace it, and I certainly, did, you know, the suspicions of, of the media that those being there, um, and and as a consequence, they looked antiquated in comparison to Liverpool, and you know, and and those they were changed. It things were going on, and Everton really didn't change with that, and you, you had this difficult relationship with the media, um, not just through Harry. Uh, I think it was the club, and I think the, the, there's, there's some things there that are still present even 50 years later, you know, 50, 60 years later. I mean, I think a lot of the roots, the way Everton and Liverpool are regarded even now, are based on stuff that happened nearly 60 years ago, you know? Yeah. No, think, it's, that's, it's that's really interesting. That's never really changed.
1: Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Because I I became an Evertonian because of my granddad. And um, one of my granddad's best mates, in fact, probably his only mate, if I've being been truthful, (laughs) he was a gnarly bugger, um, (laughs) was a turnstile operator at at both Goodison and Anfield. He he also worked uh, at Camelette as well. But um, over the weekend, he was was a a turnstile operator. And he always used to refer to himself. I, I remember meeting him like when I was very young, because he was quite a fearsome character himself. I always remember him refer used to, if he was introduced to anybody or he had to introduce himself, he would introduce himself as an Everton ten style operator. He never yeah. ever said that he was an Everton and Liverpool
0: ten style operator. He was always
1: Everton. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and people forget that. I mean. We, You know, we talk about like football on Merseyside, and there's this like sort of belief, and you can see, you can understand why that Liverpool, because we've got its name. City has always been the biggest club in the city, has always been the biggest footballer influence. Where for the first probably ninety years on on Merseyside, Everton had won more derbies than Liverpool had needed. Not you know spent more seasons in the top flight. You know, for for most of that first hundred years, Everton had been the bigger club. You know, you know, the, the, beware the the, the aristocrats of, of the city. I mean, I think there was a point even in you know the twenties and thirties. You now with the football, like used to have, like you know, the home team on the front page. So it was Everton week Liverpool the next on, on a Saturday evening. There was a yeah. time where, <laughs> where Everton away matches were on the front page of the the Saturday Echo. And 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 I think people forget that historically we've we we've like sort of have we're the biggest. Biggest club, and and I think I think there was a few. The other change, I think, in the sixties was when the population started to drift out of the city. You know that the city lost what well, lost hundred thousand people between sixty one and the early seventies, and and that carried on thereafter. And so, and so we lost that, we lost that core of home support that that had always been there. And and that, I think that that pop I mean, I don't know what Liverpool's population is now four fifty thousand, something like that. It was was eight hundred thousand at one stage, wasn't it? Um mm-hmm. a, a lot of that population and that local support that, that that Everton had also disappeared with it, where obviously Liverpool was slightly different, where it was the opposite effect, where they had fans zifting in from outside the city in, in into Anfield. And we lost the, the decline of the city in the sixties and seventies. You know, had an effect on, on on Everton, and that, that that I mean, I wrote that in a book, didn't I? In in money can't buy stuff, where like the li, li, Liverpools rise in the in the, in the early mid sixties seemed totally attuned to the way the city has risen culturally and economically. God, and he was the decline of the city from the late sixties was sort so of was evident. Admitted that, yeah, yeah,
1: Liverpool yeah. took the up escalator. With the city, and we took the down escalator. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And 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 some of this, some of that, is due to the cultural and, and economic impact of of the you know of, of the prevailing environment on on the city itself, and, and and also as well, I think a lot of our core support and even says they come from sort of the less affluent areas, doesn't it? Um, reflected in our ticket prices, and and I think that that had a, an impact on on the on the club. Which the, the sort of Littlewoods back in the sixties, sort of, sort of mashed, I think. And I mean, we, we mean by the mid seventies, we were selling forty thousand bingo tickets a week to uh, make ends meet.
1: Yeah, and, um, and it used to be in the annual report that um, the lottery ticket, is, as I think they called it, didn't they in those days, uh, what what the lottery ticket sales were. So, like, even if it was like four and a half thousand quid, it was in the annual report as to whether or not it was up on the, on one year or down on on the next.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad to see even in the mid '70s you were doing your normal forensic analysis of the accounts. <laughs> <know, laughs> didn't did, did, you know, did mention words like amortisation in, in the accounts and you know and all this, but yeah, yeah, and 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 I did that Littlewood's back, and I think um, you know did, did 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 mask a few things, and and I think by by the by the mid '70s when Leewood's pulled up the drawbridge a little bit, um, the club ceased being a major, major player. I mean, if you think about it, after they bought Bob Latchford and Martin Dobson in 74, it was probably 10 years So they, when they bought Lineker that they made a a big national, national signing.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, we'd consistently broken British records, hadn't we? And, you know, probably Bob Latchford was the last of the, in the 70s that we broke, wasn't he? Uh, in terms of, you know, record transfers. And then, obviously, you know, lots of other clubs, O- overtook us in that sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because what happened in the seventies, and I touched that in, in in the book, it was because of the, because of the economic conditions where yeah. where money was draining out of football. It was struggling like uh, the other parts of the economy. The the the, the, the real the success. If you take Liverpool out of it, the successful clubs were your provincial clubs who were well, well managed with charismatic managers who could do something different. Either develop young players or get the best out of. Um, Asian players who perhaps have been binned off elsewhere and, and so you've got like in the 60s you've got like the big industrial north clubs are the dominant forces as their local economies decline they're replaced by you know by the mid 70s and just successful clubs in the mid 70s Derby Stoke you know Ipswich Town got yeah. Yeah. Forest Derby there. Forest yeah. yeah you know uh, Southampton won the FA Cup in, 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 in 76 QPR you know th- those were the those are the, the the sort of up-and-coming clubs. And the only constant within that is, is Liverpool, who, who were lucky, I think, probably, that they made the right decision Re- replacing Shankly with Paisley in seventy four when it could have easily have been Jackie Gerrard, couldn't it? Yeah. yeah. You
1: know? yeah. I, I've got this theory, and it, um I, I've not often talked about it. In fact, I don't think I've ever talked about it. I've talked about it in, to individuals, but not on a podcast or anything. And... Um, you know, this, when, when people talk generally about Everton, about them being, you know, a sort of a historic club, but historically a successful club, fourth most successful club in England, which is the statistic that's often sort of still bandied around. I actually have a slightly different theory as to what Everton is. Um, and I actually think that we are a, uh, we're obviously a significant club and we're, and we're obviously a big club by virtue of our history um, and by virtue of the size of our support. But actually, for, if, you've, if you if strip out all the emotion and if you just look at it analytically, for the vast majority of the time, Everton is a middling club. It yeah. actually doesn't achieve much. It doesn't get relegated very often, as we know it only got relegated twice. It doesn't even actually appear to be in danger of being relegated very often, although clearly at this moment in time, that's a that's a different topic. So you have this long these, these long periods where actually the club almost doesn't do much. And then you have these short sort of burst of um, yeah. intense activity where, you know, for a small number of years, four or five years, perhaps, and it, well, probably the sixties was the exception in terms of the whole decade. Um, but actually that was probably only eight years. You have these periods of sort of condensed uh, success. then yeah. And then they very quickly dissipate and it goes back to being like a sort of a middling club, but then you have to look at, well, wh- what is it that happened in those periods where you yeah, had that this like condensed history, so it's condensed condensed success. So, like you know, the, the late the, the late twenties, early thirties, it might have happened again at the late in the late thirties, but obviously the, the war stopped it. It Certainly happened bef- just before the First World War, and then it happened in the sixties, and then it happened in the mid eighties. What, what what were the uh, things that came together to allow it to happen? And I think yeah. it's I think it's driven largely by individuals. Yeah. So you have uh, either players or you have managers or you have um, administrators that come into the club for a period and it coincides with the club having a bit of money because perhaps it's got uh, an owner that can um, slightly out, or in the case of uh, the 60s, significantly outspend the competition. But you you have that combination either of more resources than anybody else or people who are brilliant. And I think other than that, the club is just like a middling club. And I think um, I think that's very important in terms of looking like where we are now because it, it to me it demonstrates uh, the importance of the individuals and how important uh, recruitment is. So how important recruitment is in terms of who the owner is, in terms of who the, bo- the board are, and then obviously the manager and the players themselves. And I think that's the big difference for Everton, that when we get the recruitment right and we have done periodically, we're very successful because we've somehow we find the resources to match the recruitment, but actually, in all other times, we don't actually achieve much. And I think you know, for example, the the eighties period is just a period of the of the brilliance of Howard Kendall and Colin Harvey. Okay, good players who came together yeah. and did a fantastic job and you know outperformed what what actually they were collectively. They were much greater than they were as, as individuals. But the 80s was a sort of just a period where the, where that, that brilliance shone for a small number of years, but was never built upon. The 60s, all the way up to the championship winning side in 69, 70, was, I think, a combination of brilliance, but also a combination of having more resource than anybody else. But again, we get to the point where it's not built upon and it just dissipates very quickly and we go back to where we are. And I think, you know, since the 80s, mid-80s, you might argue about Joe Royal, just giving that little spark in terms of you know yeah. something different, something some brilliance that um, allowed him to do what he did. But other than that, it's it's not happened. Uh, even even the David Moyes era was uh, oh, he just proved to be consistent, slightly consistently better than everybody else, but not uh, so good that he could actually compete to win trophies. Um, and that's why, you know, just labouring the point, I, th- I think it's, I think uh, Everton as a football club has to look at individuals and has to, and that's why it's so important to talk about who should be owning the club, who should be running the
0: club. Yeah. Well, and also the relationship with the people around them. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, like that. I mean, up until like the the leaders didn't uh, teach about past and future football over the last 20 years. A lot of clubs are like that. I think there was probably up until the 60s only Arsenal in the 30s who'd been a successful club over a period of time. I think Man United in the 50s probably would have done that, um, obviously, but if it wasn't for, for 19, 1958. And yeah, you're right in that. I think that the similarities between the early 60s and the mid 80s is that, you know, Moores and Carter were a completely different chairman, but they provided leadership, didn't in mm. uh, in their different ways. Um, you know, a dictatorship probably in Moores' case, but I, I think Harry, you, know, you underestimate Harry's ability as a manager. Yeah, okay, yeah, he, he spent money, but a lot of I mean, a lot of people spent money uh, around that time, but Harry, Harry spent spent it in a in a, in a very sort of efficient way where he, he just identified gaps. He bought, bought the best players for, the, for, those, for those positions and he was, he was a great manager. He, he made it work for him for, for, a, for a couple of years. and But he, he still had the relationship with Moores, which I certainly think wasn't a destructive relationship. I think the difference was that because Moores was such a, um, you know, he placed sort of excessive demands you could only work with Moors over a you know, a, a certain amount of time. You spoke about Harry's health problems in the early seventies. I think that was basically because you've got ten years of pressure. And and Moores by the seventies had became a a a figure where actually, you know, if you read the the football in lessons in in, in, in the echo in, in say seventy seven, you'll see a lot of a lot of fans' views on Moores and what the what they have about the current chairman. You know, it's pretty similar. McMorris has outstayed as welcome, and the very things that made him a strong leader in the 60s It uh, was scaring people off in the 70s. That's why we got Bingham and Lee instead of Clough, Robson or Saunders in, in the 70s. And but Carter was a different leader in, in the 80s, wasn't he? He was more 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 a people person. You know, he engaged in a closer personal relationship at Howard. But even think at the end of the 80s, I think, I mean, I always I always think when people say oh Everton the board let them down they never made the most of the start of the Premier League year and all that type of stuff where actually there wasn't great riches in 92, 93 where it went wrong for the club I think was probably the late 80s early 90s you know that period after what you're talking about and I think there was a number of reasons for that obviously letting Howard go but I think when talk, I think Carter as you will remember he was the, now, then head of the Football League wasn't he um, and I think, I think Carter took his eye off the ball with the club. You know, he, he sort of priorities, he sort of um, went elsewhere. And I think we lost ground heavily as a club, not from 92 when the Premier League started. I think we'd already lost ground between the last title in 87 and 92. That's when the real damage to the club was done because of, I think, the, the leadership wasn't focused enough and, and he didn't realise that the game was changing so by the time I've been on, on a par with liverpool financially 87 by by 92 they they're, they're over twice as much as ours, you know would, would it
1: be fair to say i again from a distance i always felt that looking back on it now at least um that carter felt it difficult to both be in a position that he was in in terms of representing football in terms of you know the football league and and then the premier league and allowing Everton to take advantage of that?
0: Yeah, that, that was a conflict conflict of incest. Yeah, yeah, and there was a number of instances um, where, where you cite know, where there was conflict of in, in, incest in it and it damaged, damaged Everton. Um, I think, you know, just like one, in 80, April 87, Everton played Liverpool at the end of the season, both going for the title at Anfield, and the TV contract for the season finished. So Everton and Liverpool had done a deal with the Football League. Uh, that ICV him £200,000 for the game the clubs just a 100000 between them and the Football League had 100000 themselves you know which they needed the money in 1987 but the Football League blocked it that Carter was part of and I think that was one of the reasons for that was the fact that actually he had the foot in both camps because why, why would you turn down £100,000 for your organisation yeah because he, he knew at the
1: same time that his club was uh, was
0: gonna benefit from that yeah. i think i i think i think I'm more independent i say regulator like i don't think that, that was a word that cropped up in the sixties and seventies <laughs> um I, I, I think somebody more independent would have saw the bigger picture and um said yeah okay um as a one off we'll go with this and and they ended up turning so everybody suffered as a consequence Sydney not football league lost hundreds thousand clubs lost fifty thousand beats Biggest game in this football that season, one of the biggest league games of the, the 80s, in fact, wasn't even shown in, in this country. And I think that was because Carter, if he'd had a go-ahead, would have been, been seen as an outside, by outsiders, the same favour in this club. Shame it doesn't happen it happened today. <laughs> football, yeah, football regulation yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, well, you could have a separate pot on that. But, I mean, if, if you spoke about um, before we came on air, uh, you know, that, when you when you do books and not about Everton, but you know how Everton relates to football and why the game is, it's nothing new. You know, it, it's just regurgitating of old stuff that's gone over the years, but just in a in a, in a different format. And, and I said, you know, you did, this season just gone it's obviously particularly being particularly fraught, but you can pick points from previous seasons where the same things have. Have gone on. It was like, you know, buying players in, in January. Well, Benitez is still there and, you know, and, and, but, but those players bought by the chairman or what, and then Frank comes in. But the same thing happened in January 77, didn't it? Where he bought Rioch and McKenzie. Mm. John Moore's bought them. Sack Billy Bingham and Gordon Lee came in, you know. And so there's 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 always like points in Evans' history, where everything that goes on, you can point to yeah, but that happened. That happened. Then you know, you know, and, and but there is a big picture, as you say. Is the important thing is, yeah, I think you are right. It, it's the right relationship between the chairman and manager. You've got to appoint the right manager in the in the first place. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, and then then having a plan. And I think in eighty seven he probably did have a plan. But then then Howard went didn't he? Yeah. The
1: interesting thing from what you've just said, though, if you, if you want to like extrapolate something from that, is if these patterns are repeatable and have been repeated, they should be more avoidable as well.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You mean, I don't think it's a wise move to to buy players and then you know, sack the manager and bring another manager in. I mean, that's just, I mean, Everton not being the only club, um, who'd been. Guilty of that, but I think because because the football landscape has changed so much, Paul, over the years, it's, it, it, it's and and personality changed so so much, and the pressure has changed so much. Yeah, it, it it sounds simple, but actually, it isn't. The environment that you're operating in has changed, and I, I do. Uh, you, we're not the only club like that. It's just it's just when I've researched stuff for books, and you just That's just like now. <laughs> the actually you think. You think you think that, and yeah, you're you all right But I think the initial point points as well made. It, we need this, you know, need strong leadership. You need the right relationship between the leader and the manager, and you need the the, the right manager. If you, if I don't think any club, if Steve don't have that, they're, they're going to struggle to be success successful, aren't they? Which is what happened to Moyes at Man United, wasn't it? Really, the whole United thing was built on Ferguson and Gill's relationship, wasn't it? They both went in the same summer.
1: Yeah, and and also, I mean, they at the time, uh, at the time, actually, I, I was uh, quite close to some of the some of the board members at United, um, and the relationship between the board and the and the owners was, was, was terrible.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, you, you could go to a game, you could go to a game and sit in the boardroom at United, and the Glazers used to dine separately, not separately on a different table in a different room. Yeah, and in that, it was, it, it, if anybody know, know knows that part of Old Trafford, like there's a there's a there's a room, but like, it's got no windows. It's very a very dark room, and in there, um, like they have all the tr- well, not all the trophies, but they have some of the trophies. So, like, a, you know, uh, a cop- I don't know if it's the original or if it's it's a copy of the you know the Champions League trophy, and they the, the glazers sit in that room by themselves, having you know pre- yeah. Off time, pre meal, lunch, dinner, or, or lunch, or whatever, uh, post match uh, drinks and stuff. Uh, and, no, and none of the rest of the board <laughs> would, would would mix with them. It's really, really interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: the-, the dynamic was just like so so strange. And um, actually, I went to a Champions League game there once. And it was, I can't remember. It might have played Olympic Marseille, I think. It might have been. Anyway, it was just December. And it was like a really crap game. It was nil nil. And um, to get to the press room, you, you'll know this, I think to get to the press room from the um, from the changing rooms, you have to go through like this sort of like the senior executive level. So Moyes had to walk from the dressing room and then walk through this room where like all the people are being en- entertained to get to the press room. And like there's the normal sort of chatter and chinking of glasses and this, that, and the other. And the door opens and Moyes walks in. And he's only been there then. How long did he be? You know, this was like his first, well, yeah. He'd only been there for twenty. You only play, Only been manager for about twenty odd games. The door opens and boys walked in with his face like thunder, and the room just went totally silent
0: and nobody
1: held his gaze.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i see seen people like Evan. that. That happens over the years, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know. We talk about the Moyes years. It's just quite interesting, isn't it? Really, because I think I, I get I get no trophies, but. I'm always a great believer in that, that That the one immutable fact in football is the fact that your, your success is geared to, you, to, to your pay bill. And, you know, in the 60s, the, the biggest thing that helped Moores and catech in 61 was the, 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 the lift on the maximum wage, wasn't it? Yeah. So we could take advantage of that as a club, uh, which we did, in, in, you know, in spades. And I always think, like, if you have a look at... If you have a look at Moyes in the in the two thousands, we were probably 8th or ninth in in the wage table. You know, we got Fulham and West Ham ahead of us, but we were consistently fifth in the league, fifth and sixth every year. Which you know, which was I always thought that was a that was a I wouldn't say a great achievement. It was a very good achievement, and I think under underestimated. And I think that's really one of the things I wanted to mention to you. Really, was talking about the Machere era and. The, the the problems that with we Machairi because of you know financial regulations is well that's a stop us paying players to be fair above our turnover is we when Machairi came in we had we were the seventh highest payable bill in Premier League and we're but eighth now aren't we I think um, so the, our chance of success if you if you link success to where you are in the in the pay league I've, I've you know we have they really changed that much for all the money we've spent? We're still a middle-of-the-table pay bill team. Unlike, unlike before financial regulation, in, in 2007, City had the 13th highest pay bill in, in the country, I think, and we finished about 13th in the, in, in the, in the Premier League. Three years later, they had the second highest pay bill when they started winning trophies because they could just spend as much as, as they liked. And I think one of the one of the the things about the machiavellian, and I get the I get the, you know, the the poor transfer strategy, and perhaps some of the government should be better. Is, is, the single most important factor. Is is if if success is, su- success in football is geared to your pay bill, we are still exactly the same. You know. Um.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. To be honest, I think yeah. I think I think obviously there's a correlation between the two. that that, that has to be but then uh, then you have to start looking at other factors like uh, okay so if you spend this amount of money how effectively do you spend it yeah absolutely yeah and and that's the I think that's the big difference Um, and I think if you wanted to point out two clubs that uh, are spending their their wage money for want of a better description uh, less effectively than anybody else it would be Everton and it would be Manchester United
0: yeah yeah yeah, and, and honest, I mean, that, that's why you can see our poor performance this season, Carney, because, I mean, Machir's first three years, we were seventh in the pay bill, and what did we finish? Seventh, eighth, and eighth, was it? Something like that, I can't remember. Uh, exactly where you would expect us to finish in the table. Um, the problem is now, this season we finished, what, what did we finish in the end? Sixteenth, seventeenth? Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to wipe it from the memory. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> So, we're, we're eight, so we were eight, were eight, I think Leicester will overtake us now, so we're eight over par, aren't we, in golfing terms? Yeah. Um, you know, and United are, what, five five over par? Uh, West Ham are three under, I think, for their league position. Uh, and that just shows you what a terrible season has been on, on, on that basis for Evan. But I, I do think, that, I, I get what you're saying, if you spend your money correctly under Machiri, then you may rise a little bit, but it's the type of players you can buy when your your pay bill is relatively restricted. Is, it, I it, think it, I think there's
1: two elements to it. Um, I'm sorry to go across you. No, no. There's one who you can bring in. I think, but, but I think the main thing that nobody's really understood, myself included, uh, until you know m- much much after the event has occurred, when you recruit badly, it's so much more difficult to get rid of the really bad recruitment decisions that you've made, especially. If you've overpaid to bring those players in. So yeah. um, you've compounded the you compounded it, first of all, by virtue of having spent more money than you should have done on, on the players that you bought. But second, then having bought them and then having found out that they weren't perhaps the players that you really needed, because you've because you spent you're spending so much money on their wages, they've got no incentive to go anywhere else.
0: So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly, and yeah. that's, that's, that's where our team, that's where it comes in. If you want a really wealthy club, even if you're Man United, you can make a lot of mistakes, can you, and still make a work for you? Because um, yeah, if saying, you pay
1: them market value, then, yeah. the, you know, largely speaking, there's a market for, for them somewhere else. Yeah. The, mo- the moment you pay them over market value, which is what we've done consistently with the players that we've brought in, yeah. there's nowhere for them to go until their contracts run out.
0: Yeah, yeah, And then
1: that's compounded with, I think there's a a, th- a trend, a theme developing within football uh, where unless you're an absolute superstar, you're, as a player, your best bet is to stay at a club for the length of your contract. It's, the, yeah. it's always thought that, you know, you should, like, you know, a couple of years before your contract, that's the right time to move on. Um, gives the club something uh, in terms of value, in terms of receipt of, of, pay, of payment and also gives the player an opportunity to increase uh, his wages somewhere else or go to a better club if his career is still on, a, on an upward trend. But actually, I think that story is changing. I think I think agents in particular, and I'm not blaming agents, I'm just saying they've worked out the economics of it. You get to a club, uh, the club pays a certain amount of money for you and that's amortised over four or five years. Um, and you stay there for four or five years because... Your, as long as your career remains consistent, um, your payday actually comes from being a free agent at the end of it or being a player with a very limited amount of time left on their contract. Because the way clubs view a, the purchase of a player is the cost of buying somebody plus the cost of, of paying them. And if the cost of buying them is, is, is low because they're coming either at the end of the contract or at the very end of the contract, there's much more money in the pot for the player themselves.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, so Campbell was famously one who uh, followed that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a separate thing, isn't it? Really, about you know, our tra- tran- transfer, Is it something that will become say will become extinct? Probably won't, but for top players, it does. I mean, it also a as sponsors, doesn't it? Because I think the view of sponsors in football now, isn't it? It's especially with the, the market with sort of emerging countries is supporters they don't follow teams, they follow players, don't they? Yeah, and and I think I think there's a fear and. In big companies, you know, involved in football, I know they are. It's actually they will put their money rather than to teams to players, um, because that's where the value is. With with with, dare I say, customers, and they say consumers there for a minute, and um, that's where the value is, rather than 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 teams. And that that thing, what you're saying, fits in well with that strategy, doesn't it? So the sponsor now knows if I'm going to go to. PSG for four years well we can do a deal around that what we don't want to do a deal is actually after two years we, we think you're probably going to go to Bayern Munich or something something like that so it's it sort of, it also it also appeals to sponsors of top players that type of thing because it gives them stability doesn't it and um, yeah you, you can see there's been this argument they thought after Bosman didn't he that transfer fair to just disappear completely and, and that's not happened but I think for the very the, the, you know, those elite players like Mbappe, who's famously in the last couple of weeks, is is that will then, you know, for those those players, it's not, you know, it, it's better for their career and more meaningful and wealthy, wealthy for them to 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 to, to, to not move around every every couple of years, is, is is you know, have a have a two or three year deal, and then, and then see that out. But then that puts the onus on uh, for the clubs.
1: I mean, there's all sorts of consequences of that, but. For the for the clubs themselves, for the, certainly for the for the bigger clubs, on getting the recruitment absolutely right, because you yeah. are genuinely locking yourself into like a four or five year commitment if um,
0: if the players come the, into you Yeah, you would think for the lead players that that's a that's a given, but it you know if you take some of the money out of football, I mean, I'm trying to think, of, you know, in that Neymar deal, for example, I had massive ramifications, didn't it, really, when he went to to PSG because. Hey, it was just the wrong signal going for Barcelona, and then the two Spanish giants had to try and compete with that. You know, the market as was set by somebody going for two hundred million pounds, and then that effectively ruined both clubs, didn't it? Um, yeah, I think recruitment is a is a different issue, but I, I think I think you're right. Is is I think if you're a big club, you can you can make mistakes. I think that's what the to do in football. I mean, it's made clubs so big that you remove the risk of bad treatments from them. With with us. Cause our turnover is far far less, a third of a, a giant, we can't make a, ho- a a whole series of mistakes, and that that's effectively what happened in the the 2016, 2019 periods, and, and mm. we're still paying for that army. It's the over, it's the wages that we pay, doesn't it? Not necessarily the fees. It's the wages has left us in a a vulnerable position. I mean, you know, it's it's funny, you talk about history repeating itself, but um. I think, you know, now, now Frank's in and, and there's been talk now is, is Everton' strategy will change. We are going to buy younger, hungrier players and sort of strategy we should have had when we probably started where there's a, a resale value for them. If you go back to Howard Kendall's first year in charge, he obviously famous, famously wasted, what, £1.5 million pound in his first summer? And so six months later, he effectively... Had no money, and so but his signings were far better than when you know from where he was forced into corner where he could only buy one one type of player. Um, he, he that that focused his mind a lot more, and and his signings from like sort of eighty early eighty two onwards. Mm. I mean, he bought 18th but he sold Mickey Thomas and his half had to fund that. He bought what Kevin Sheedy, Derek Mountfield, Trevor Stephen. Um, young and young hungry, hungry players, rather than sort of like his sort of 1981 summer of transfer sort of flurry of activity, it was sort of the sort of players that we bought over the last three or four years. And he, Howard became far better than the 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 transfer market when he narrowed it down to a certain type of player he he, he wanted to buy. And I think hopefully that will same thing will happen with Everton that we've sort of like Howard did in 82 They're all previous and had forced them into a corner where you've only got one strategy that you can follow and that, and that just I'm not saying we'd be the best team in Europe in three years but <laughs> it, 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 it's just history repeating itself Paul you know for, for Howard in 80, early 82 is Everton now you've wasted all the initial money you've had you've got to do things differently
1: yeah, and I'm, so I'm not consciously trying to sort of pour water on on the theory because I, th- I think the theory actually stands up yeah. as long as what happens in the future is better than yeah. what's happened previously. So the problem, the pro- I think, the problem that you have with sort of not necessarily relying upon that, but just getting to, getting to that point, is that you you really don't have anywhere else to go. And it, yeah. if you're going to stay a Premier League club as it is now or as it was then a, a, a First Division club you have to sort of almost ensure success in order to get yourself out of the corner that you've painted yourself into. And, you know, from a, purely from a business perspective, that's like, that doesn't make a huge amount of sense to get yourself to that point. So um, my view speaking sort of broad brush is that we shouldn't, and it, you know, it's self-evident, we should never have got to that position first. No. Um, no. And then you have to ask yourself, well, why did we get to that position and then what do you do differently to ensure that the people that got you there aren't necessarily the same people who are going to get you out and that the owner recognizes, um, what the difference of approach should be and in, enforces that difference of approach. And, I, and that's yeah, the point yeah. I think that we're at. And, and my, you know, people know my views on all these things. My concern is whether or not uh, the owner recognizes that and is willing to do what's necessary, um, to see that
0: through. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Fard, we could talk about all, all day long, Mike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we have done in the past. Yeah, and with, with good reason. Um, yeah, I think the good, the good thing or well, bad thing, which whichever you look at it, is because we've only got one strategy we can undertake now. At least, hopefully, we get everybody's buy into it that this is the only way forward. Which, if you think about it, should have been the way forward in 2016. You know, really. To, 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 you know, if Fard used to spoke about didn't he making the club sustainable well, actually, what we we'll need to do in the future is, is what we should have been doing in 2016, because hopefully it will make the club sustainable. My view on the, the club, and I don't want to start firing you know, shots at people, my my view on the way we've been run over the last, the last six six years from a governance side is, and I've spoken about this before on a couple of podcasts, is purely massive bandwidth in the boardroom. Um, I think we... When fire came in in 2016, there was two massive club-changing, like sort of tasks to, to have, wasn't it? Is was a to use the money that he's brought to the club in an efficient, and economic manner, whilst sort of you know trying to make it successful. And two was the, the move to, to Bramley Moor, which is a massive project, isn't it? Um, and, and a very emotional one, and a massive you know a massive job in itself. Th- those two things are you know, enormous challenges for any club as taken as a single challenge. If you put both together, then that that's a, a mighty task. I don't think any clubs have probably done that before at the same time, had a load of money and moved around at the at the at the same time. And and I think beyond that, if Fad looks back over the last six years, I think from a government's perspective, you'd probably say we should have had more bandwidth at boardroom level, more resource. Uh, to make the make the key decisions I think um, you know because they are two massive massive jobs I, and, and also keep the, the business as usual stuff running within the club and I think that to me setting aside personalities and individuals from a corporate perspective that's been the thing that if I was doing it again that would be the different way of doing it for me
1: yeah, I, I, th- I think I think they're fair comments. I, I mean, you, you, you know, I, I go further in terms of in terms of my comments, but um, you know, this is probably not not the right platform to do that today. Uh, it's interesting because I, I recall I recall being on a train going back to back, back to London um, in two thousand and eighteen from Lime Street, and I happened to bump into I'm not going to say their names. I happened to bump into two former directors of the football club. Um, and they kindly invited me to sit with them. Um, that's probably now why they're former
0: directors. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm, I'm surprised not, uh, if they're not directors, I could to afford the uh, the train fare, Paul. To be honest with you know? but, uh... Uh,
1: Well, yeah, they, they went to the loo when the ticket inspector came around. So... <laughs>
0: um,
1: anyway, so we we got chatting. And I said, look, what happened uh, last summer, you know, which was the, the, the famous 2017 summer? And of so both sort of looked at each, each, at each other and one of, the, one of the two said, well, we just took our eye off the ball. Yeah. And I said, well, what, what does that mean? How can you possibly do that? And I said, well, you know, uh, Bill was out doing his stuff. Farhad was out doing his stuff. Uh, Koeman was out doing his stuff. It's funny, they never called Koeman by his first name. It was always Koeman, his first, his own stuff. Steve Walsh was doing his own stuff, yeah. and nobody had a clue what the other person was doing. Yeah, and he, that was why 2017 was such a disaster.
0: Yeah.
1: And like, well, why why didn't you do something about it? Well, we we didn't know about it. You know, we, we're not the people who like run the football side, so we didn't yeah. know about it. All that happened was there were requests for certain amounts of money to be sent to certain clubs because certain players were coming in. And Fahad Nashiri always made sure that the money was in the account when it was needed. Um, yeah. And perhaps that's an oversimplification of what went on. But that's that's ultimately where our problems have been generated. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, 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 like- and it's a legacy. Where we are now is is a legacy of that, and, and to an extent, a continuation of that, possibly for another 18 months or so beyond that. Um, and to me, the big question is whether those lessons have been fully learned. And as you say, in terms of bandwidth, bandwidth whether or not we have enough people with enough skills, enough experience, etc., um, to see us out of the position that we're in now. I- I'm not going to uh, embarrass you by asking you to comment on that.
0: Um, no, no, no. Just, I, just, I that's comment. just my view, you know. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think I think the people have been getting sick at board level, it may have helped them if there'd been more bandwidth for the start. Yeah. Um, I think you know, when you say what what you've got on the board, is it seven? Seven people or something like that. Um I I, I just think more bandwidth, but you, you remind me of another fact that is is not only 2016. Did we have two major challenges? We also had a new manager, we had a director of football who possibly wasn't suited to the role, and the governor's sound football side um, was not sorted. And so you've got several things there that should have been put in place by far had that weren't. That and I, 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 get, I get, you know, you can't change everything at once, but I think if you look back on that, I think you'll look back at that 2016. Period and say, well, I should have done things differently in terms of the bandwidth at board level and the way we communicate as a, as a football club. Because, you know, there's it is when you see you you've done some projections for th- this financial year that's coming to an end. And, you know, it's not going to look great this year. And it's going to take us another 18 months to, as you say, two years to, 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 to sort of, you know, end the financial. Um, difficulties you've had that all all started in that 2016, 17, 18 18 periods and I, I, I think you be, we can join the governance should have been set up properly in 2016 really. Yeah definitely The um, 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 other interesting sorry. one sorry is
1: that uh, I, I remember when uh, Ronald Koeman came to the club um, and somebody who was involved in Spanish football Uh, quite high profile turned around into me and said just make sure I mean what could I do I'm just a fan I can't make sure he said just make sure that Ronald Koeman doesn't do to you what he did to Valencia yeah because financially, there were other factors, just as were other factors at Everton. Financially, it you know it took them five or six years to unwind yeah. the positions that some of the positions, at least that they, that he created. And I always remember that person saying that. And they had at that time they had no reason to think or to say that something similar might happen at Everton. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not solely blaming Ronald Koeman. I'm just saying uh, somebody, some, somebody made the point.
0: Yeah, and Avon Valencia's got an unbuilt half-built stadium.
1: <laughs> uh, what? I, not even me
0: was going to mention that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, to, to be fair to them It's different to sort of different, different Everton But yeah I mean hopefully we can learn Learn those lessons from the football side At least um, going forward But the fact that we sort of Got only really one strategy we can go with Now you know That that that, that will help focus Focus minds really yeah. Um, But yeah it's it it's interesting. But bit going back to the early sixties, you know, what did Moores bring before we came on? We were looking at compared and Moores coming into the, the current era at Everton and Moores knew the club, didn't he? He was hugely successful in in business. Uh, he was a hand hands on, but not in the sixties, certainly not in a intervening where I think one of Hardy's skills was sort of not to let him be managed by Moores, uh, on face value anyway, and it was quite clear then within the club in far more simpler times. But either way, how it should be run, um, it, it's a little, been a bit a little bit more cloudy over the over the last five or five or six years, hasn't it? Really, and and hopefully we can learn those lessons and get it right over over the foreseeable future. But um, you know, certainly from from a footballing side, but you can see why people said he took the eye off the ball. Yeah, yeah. The
1: interesting thing, I, I from what I know about Moors, um, not only from his time at Everton, but also his time at, at Littlewoods, he was um, he was v- very specific over, over his recruitment. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because that's what I think Everton should be, but that that was a characteristic of his style of management that he. Uh, recruited very carefully and he was uh, very easily persuaded or v- could very easily persuade himself that if something wasn't working to cut it as quickly as possible Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't scared of making difficult ever scared of making difficult decisions
0: no, no, absolutely. When he was at Littlewoods, they used to call Friday second day when he walked out and the factory. you know when you talk about people hiding at the toilets on training? That's what they used to do, you know. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was one fellow in the interview at the Littlewoods who was convinced that more after the interview that Morse was following in his car, you know. And um, not only did he recruit well, he sat he sat pretty effectively as well. And um, you know, with Johnny Carey famously, you know. Um, you in, in the back of a cab and the you know there's that talent on Harry's first day as manager um, some um, somebody said to Moors you know you just sacked the manager who's he 's finished fourth you know what'll happen to Harry if he finishes fourth <laughs> what's in and um, said so he'd be sacked as well <laughs> you know? no no pressure there Harry but but that but great leaders must change but 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 my, I know going back to where we started from but it's still relevant so to 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 what we're talking about is is mores never changed by the seventies where that sort of sixties dictatorial thing, but worked because it was a more deferential society and people didn't have to didn't think as independently as what they did in the seventies in football, and in the seventies you had independent managers who were comfortable in their own skin who wouldn't defer to people, mm-hmm. um, and you know Clough. Saunders, you know, Bobby Robson off the top of my head. Um and and Yeah, they off, changed off.
1: that balance, didn't they?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and Morris just scared them off. They wouldn't want to work with, with them. Um and, and 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 you 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 throw that forward to this day is you know, hopefully Farhad can learn some of the lessons of the way it's gone over the last five or six years and say this is what needs to change rather than just carry on in the same way that that Moores did and 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 and, and by seven, by by the seventies, as I to say, there's so many similarities between Everton, say seventy-six, seventy-seven, um, the what's gone on over the over the over the last couple of years. And I think um it would just be interesting to say from from a government's perspective how it how it operates both with Everton and and, and you've spoken well haven't you with wider football. I, I thought that chat with Martin Ziegler was was really informative last week in that you know that the, the Premier League are talking to Everton. You know, and you know, when it's their their competition. You know, shouldn't that be done by an independent regulator? You know, and 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 that that's that that's the next stage, isn't it? Really. Um, think, yeah,
1: you, as as we said last week, or Martin and I said, you've got to separate the you know the, the separate functions. You can't be both the promoter, the owner, and the regulator.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you see that, and I mean, I think there's still this court case going on, isn't it, on the concert? But the, the three clubs and the, who wants to who who wants to set up the Super League um, yeah. with, with with UEFA, isn't it? About about the UEFA can't be a regulator and have them promote their own compositions.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And 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 that, that's that's effectively what 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 the European Super League, isn't it? And if that comes out, that actually, you can't be done. That opens up all sorts of of op- 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 different things. And and you see, opening stuff onto the wider world of football because it does affect us about where Everton stand in football going in the future. Is remember, and now it's a bit like what you saw in in Paris at the weekend, isn't it? Is the the one thing, you can, as a football fan, you're increasingly concerned about is just the general governance and regulation of football, full stop. Not just, just in the Premier League. And I remember my made saying to me about thirty years ago that you watch that. Because boxing was the first sport to be dominated and run by money, that all sports will follow. Boxing, and this is in the late eighties, where boxing had all of a sudden got four world champions, and you know it's now a, it's now not. I wouldn't even class boxing as a sport. There, I say it's just an ungovernable mess. But uh, with, with, with huge respect for the, the boxers, by the way, um, and you can see that with football, can Paul? Is 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 you can see. You you can see UEFA and FIFA having clubs in the future who are aligned to them as two separate competitions, perhaps. You know, you've seen the Saudi, you know, golf tour, you know, will we you see the breakup of the normal like sort of national leagues that we see now, where clubs won't allow themselves to lean there, they're they're allowing themselves to say a governing body like UEFA or, or FIFA. Or even even their own, and and that's the natural next natural stage in in football as a competition. Like when you realise the boxing, they can make far more money if you have two world champions rather than one. Well, let's let's make far more money by having two Champions Leagues instead of one Champions League, or a bit like they done in darts, you know. <laughs> um, in, in a
1: sense, we've almost got that already.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know. If we try and think logically, I appreciate we're running short of time here because I know you've got to move on as well.
0: No, I'm fine, I can talk about that. Yeah, fine.
1: I'm just thinking about our oh, listeners as being polite.
0: Oh, well, do, do, do a second part. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, if you think if you think about and, and this has been very kind to Fahad Nishiri, why why did he do what he did? Why did he spend so much money? Well, he spent so much money on the belief that if we spent this money um we'd achieve European football. If you remember like the project. Was year one to sort of the consolidation, year two European uh, Europa League, year three possibly qualify, you know, um, at least being competitive for uh, qualifying for the um, Champions League. He said that very early on when he when he came to the yeah. club, and he certainly said that when Ronald Ronald Koeman was then Kuman even in the November of two thousand and sixteen said the same thing on a BBC interview. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. This this is what this is what we're going to do. And in a sense, he, he sort of he spent the money on the basis that we were going to participate in two separate competitions, which is what you're talking about. One competition being like the English football, the Premier League, and then the second competition being European football. And what we've seen is obviously we didn't do that. So, but we had we had the liabilities that you incur for having those costs, but we didn't have any of of the upside because we never qualified. Yeah. Therefore. You know, we never generated how much money have we generated from European football since uh has been here. About what 14, <laughs> yeah. 14 14 million euros, so yeah. like 12 million quid. Yeah. And then you compare it to what you know uh United less so these days, but Liverpool certainly, Chelsea, um Manchester City, and even Tottenham, you know, they're generating somewhere between seven, 70 and 120 million pounds a year now from European football.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Where I'm coming from is how, like, the major clubs align themselves. Yep. You know, so you know, will you have? I don't know. I'm thinking you could have all the the, the Middle East back. You know, teams in one league and have the more traditional powers in European football in another league. You know, and it, it's because they can make more money that way than rather being in, in one competition. And you know, it could be that, that actually. You, know, you have this dystopian view of the future, don't we of the Premier League that actually you've got Manchester City and Newcastle getting a hundred points each season every season and three of the last four clubs remaining in the in the in the Champions League is, is are Newcastle, Man City and PSG. And you know that that's that's where it's possibly heading, and, and 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 see from that that it's that's not really sustained That would be seen as being sustainable if you're not a state managed club, and and you can see then that there may be maybe a split um, across Europe where there's there's two two separate leagues just because it re- replicate boxing and all sports would replicate boxing as we made said and and you can also see the international level where now there's alliances now with with uh, UEFA and CONMEBOL, isn't it? You know, yeah. South America, where you know we don't need the World Cup with forty eight different countries where actually people are only interested in twelve of them who are all from our, our two regions. We'll have our own tournament, yeah. And this is this is this is the direction I see football going because that's how it's just a natural um way of, of generating even more wealth and, and power than what people have got at the moment, if 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 that were possible.
1: I think where we to where we will get to ultimately is legally some of these clubs are going to end up challenging the Premier League, they're going to end up challenging UEFA, they're going to end up challenging FIFA and saying, yeah, you're being anti-competitive by only allowing us to be in your regulated yeah. competition. So then all of a sudden, all, all the clubs that are owned by the Gulf States or owned by the Saudis are, are free in the summer. Well, actually, they wouldn't want to do it in the summer because it'd be too hot, but they're free in December, for example to go and have their own tournament in yeah, the United States.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the sort of middle ground, isn't it, really? Yeah, and um,
1: they get paid so much money that the money that they lose or the money that they may lose by not fully participating in the Premier League or the Premier League being a different type of organisation as a result doesn't matter because as long as they're earning more than anybody else, that's all they need to do to maintain their
0: competitive advantage. Yeah, 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 and where does it end? You know, where does it end? I, there was a to respect usually um talking on the podcast last week, who said it don't end it's sort end on the down because no, there's not been right, we we've had on the podcast, is, is that, that he wonders at uh, the, the, the ten years time whether he'd actually be a fan of football. The way the way it's going. Uh, and there's hope there, but I, I can see why you would have that that view. We've come a, we've come a long way, haven't we, since the more well but when I mean I know we always come back to Moors but still relevant. I worked out you know that when 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 Moores took over Evan, Littlewoods were four hundred and fifty times more wealthy than Evan. Yeah. They were on the Evan's turnover was two hundred thousand pounds a year. Littlewood's turnover was something like ninety six million pound a year, which is like and it would be like sort of Littlewood's taking over Evan would be like Facebook taking over Evan now or a, Tech giants, you know, little yeah. to the back. Big. It's, it's funny that you should out.
1: say that. I, I know the circumstances have changed because of what's happened in, in, uh, in Ukraine. But uh, I was I was making this exact point uh, last night to, to somebody that you you, t- you think about all the money that Mishiri's invested and in, whether you believe it's Mishiri's money or Uzmanov's money. I still think it's uh, Mishiri's money. You look at the, the amount of money that uh, USM can generate. We the amount of money that's been invested in Everton so far and will be invested to finish off the stadium can be earned by USM in less than three months. Yeah. yeah. You know, in terms of dividend payments to themselves from from their underlying companies, which are all profitable, yeah. uh, so on, on a grand scale of things, actually, Everton Football Club is not that important to them. It, it is important, obviously, because yeah. of a profile and um, you know if if they like football, they want to be to be successful. But in terms of a, a financial asset, it isn't actually that important.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, which is but why would you want to invest in the first place? I mean Moores didn't make invest in Everton to to um to to, to make you know make a lot of money out of That's impossible, but he invest invested eh because he was he was a fan. though so he could have <laughs> more leanings that? towards Liverpool at a certain time pick, Yeah. Do you think Moores think
1: Morse didn't think didn't view um football so we include Everton and Liverpool as a f- as a form of soft power for him. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people were very conscious, or a lot of people, even in those days, were critical of you know the pools being gambling.
0: Well yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean this is this is this is history repeating itself, isn't it? Um, you know, Mose had shareholders across both clubs. I mean there was a number of people it was ridiculous the the sort we talk about um conflict of incest where uh, Everton, Liverpool, you know you had large numbers of people had like, chairs across. Cheers both, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, I mean I would I'd guess that that there's you, you could draw a line from Littlewoods and Everton through to um Saudi I and mean, in the like in I'm the, not saying that <laughs> Littlewoods would be like Saudi Arabia, but in terms of the way they view the club that day, oh, it's a it's a way of putting something back
1: into the game that they're creating. Yeah. In, in the case of um, Moors and Littlewoods, the game that is creating so much wealth for them, yeah. So yeah. it was but, it was a it was a form of soft power, just in the same way, albeit very different differently. You know, uh, Saudi investing in football is definitely soft political power, but also Anousmanov, for example. Or and well, Abramovich is, is the classic case of investing in a football club and getting a much more favorable press uh, as an individual as a result of him having done that.
0: Yeah, but but, but Morse, Morse was the opposite. Because what well, what it's, it's fascinating, we always come back to Morse and just <laughs> how it just shows you how it's game, you know, but Morse was everything that football is now, like 60 years ago. I mean, Morse's popularity. I mean, if you didn't have any problems in the first place, Wayne. Because supporters soon clocked on to the fact that actually, he was using Littlewoods pools money to, to fund Evan. Mm. That they had all the supporters and paid into. Paid into yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's as, as ludicrous as it sounds, there's a there's an element of element of truth in, in that. And with, with Moore's using Evan the soft power. It sort of backfired a little bit because it, it didn't. I mean, Littlewood's still massively in the, in the 60s and into the, into the 70s, but it, the, reputationally, uh, it, he as an individual and the club um, suffered a little little, little bit from it, you know. And, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating. I do like, yeah, I like the, the idea of Moore's as a, you know, soft, the soft power and being a dictator. <laughs> I always like the story of, yeah, this is like Moore's, I tell this in the book that in the 70s after I don't know if you remember Bill Shankly reside Liverpool, he did used to uh, do a, a show on Radio City in Liverpool where he'd interview famous people from the area, you know, and he did Harold Wilson, people like that. And he went to he went to see John Moores in uh, in the Littlewoods building and and, and and uh Shankly's um radio technician was late, come up from London. walked into Moore's office ten, ten minutes late. And so, so, sorry, John. Uh, I'm, I'm ten minutes uh, late for the, the interview. We'll be okay. He goes. Well, uh, I'm, I'm a very mis- busy man, like <laughs> you are, Mister Shankly. I've got to go. <laughs> I just Bill, one of legends of football. You know, massive personality in the seventies. Oh, you know, if you were uh, ten minutes late, bit more, that was it. You know, you had the chance, mate. You know,
1: I, 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 I know. Right, we're going to finish after this story. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, the senior oil executive right he was summoned to uh, to moscow to see putin and he was like the phone went in his office or wherever he was and like you know putin wants to see you and he wants to see you now type thing and he was somewhere else in the world okay i'll get there as soon as i can drops everything jumps onto a private jet flies out to moscow goes to like putin's office and his secretary says well he's really busy at the moment but he'll see you as soon as he can and he had to sit outside his office for two and a half days.
0: <laughs> I, 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 was going, I was going to say, Paul. You know, do, do, do you get cheap pets on own uh, senior oil executives? Is that you know one of the benefits of it? Is
1: it is. It is. Don't, don't don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, and and, and the, the, final, the final very funny bit of that story was when, I, when he actually got into the CPUs. And Putin said to him, "It's okay. The situation is over. It's not that important." <laughs> that is real power.
0: That, yeah, that is real power. Like, yeah, yeah. We're trying, we're trying to draw the distinction between Moores and Putin at a, another day, you know. <laughs> it's it's,
1: it's, it's t- taking a long time for the two of us to get together. I figured yeah, we could, yeah. um, figure we could probably fill half a dozen of these with um, with different stories. So uh, let's do it again.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. let's, yeah, let's, 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 let's be judged fun. by the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's on seventies and eighties football, yeah, and even our love of cricket. You know,
1: yeah, yeah, there's there's so much. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. All right, mate. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, and really enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure everybody that listens to this will enjoy it equally. Um, keep keep up the great stuff with the um, stats and stuff. Well, um, pleasure.
0: Thank you, and uh, you know, keep up your great stuff on the annual report and the counseling And <laughs> you think these strange new words that I've never seen before, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Gavin. Take yeah. care. Mate.